we're excited that NFL Films and HBO has chosen the Miami Dolphins to appear on Hard Knocks. I want you to know a couple things about the decision. Number one, it was a football decision. It was made by the football operations staff. Uh, our owner, Steve, supported our decision, but in no way, shape, or form forced us to make this decision. I'm personally very excited about it. I'm sure my thoughts about it. What is up, Football Nation? It is episode 9 of the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters podcast. May 24th, 2012. 29th, 29th. 29th. Way behind. I'm a week off. <laughs> coming to you from Holiday bu- weekend. Coming to you from Buffalo, New York. My name is Steve Bennett. And my co-host and date corrector is Don Russ. What's up, Don? <laughs> I'm ready to make some football decisions. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's an interesting day. Finally, we have a, a team match with Hard Knocks. We're going to talk about that in three things. Uh, last week's podcast, I want to thank again Aaron Nagler for being on the show. Aaron's from Bleacher Report and from uh, Cheesehead TV. And you can find last week's podcast by searching for the sportscasters at www.footballnation.com or by uh, subscribing on iTunes and downloading it that way. Also want to let you know about uh, Season 2, Episode 21 of the Sportscasters proper. This week we have interviews with Puck Daddy, Mark Cram Jr., and John Fox. Today on the show we're going to have an interview with Andrew Lawrence from SI. We are uh, going to do three things, and we're going to go around Football Nation and point out some articles that we found uh, on Football Nation this week that we enjoyed. Uh, again, this week felt like it was slow. Uh, OTAs yeah, a little bit, a are little bit. starting up or have completed in various places around the National Football League. So maybe your team had OTAs this week. Maybe they didn't. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to talk about Hard Knocks. So let's get going and uh, let's do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. As you heard off the top, uh, maybe without a name attached to it, but the Dolphins will be the newest team featured on Hard Knocks, and it was a football decision. Yes, it was. Which uh, I don't know if anyone's ever said that before, and I... I don't know how you can quantify that statement in any uh, sane way, but I guess I think what he was trying to say was that the football department decided a- to do it. Right. Yeah. I think that's what he meant, too. Um, look, I'm not a Dolphin fan. I'm a Bills fan. I'm not shy about that. The opposite of a Dolphin the opposite, fan. Right. <laughs> so part of me wants to say that the teams that you generate. I would love my team to do hard knocks. I'll they've start had two by of that. your four biggest rivals now. Right. Uh, that man, the Jets. And they've all been kind of, they've been entertaining, but they've all been a joke. Uh, it seems like a move of a desperate team. Teams that think they're going to compete typically don't do this, with the exception maybe of the Cowboys, who weren't good that year anyway. And the Ravens, when they did it. Right, right. Were decent. Yeah, they were all right. But the Chiefs were terrible when they did it. But that said, like I said, I would love my team to do it. Uh, Same. I'm glad part, my team's not doing it this part, year. Part of the problem with a rival doing it, though, is when you see the human side of 
athletes and players, you, you tend to like them. I know that about hockey teams and watching other players that most of them are just good guys. So that'll be tough if when I end up watching some of it and I don't want to like Dolphins as a Bills fan. Look, at, I love Hard Knocks. I mean, it broke my heart last year when Hard Knocks was, was basically it was Hard Knocks and the Hall of Fame game were yeah. the ultimate casualties of the lockout. I, I think if, you, I think if people the, could have voted, they would have. We'll, we'll give you no preseason games. We'll cut two preseason games. We'll cut Hard Knocks. We'll be like, all right, just get rid of the two, right. two of the four preseason Hard Knocks games. is awesome. I've, I've watched every season. I've loved every season. I, I love the kind of new form of sports programming that's evolved out of Hard Knocks. The oil change. 24-7, 24/7. the oil change, the Showtime show that focused on the uh, San Francisco Giants last year and oh, this right, year right. is doing the Miami Marlins. I love all of it. I, I watch any of this stuff. And I know Hard Knocks has struggled a little bit to get a team to say yes this year. Uh, they've went to I know the Falcons are a team that said no, you know. And I, part of me was worried we we're going to end up with the Jaguars or something. Uh, the Dolphins aren't bad though. Uh, they have a rookie quarterback in camp who apparently has a hot wife. Yeah, uh, who everyone Lauren, is. Lauren Tannehill was a big trending tweet uh, topic during the draft. And. Um, you know, I, I'm somewhat neutral on the Dolphins. Uh, I'm not really for I'm not really against them. Uh, it, I'm sure Reggie Bush will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? be interesting to see if, uh, what's her name, tries to squeeze her way back onto the show. The Kardashian girl? Yeah. <laughs> She's going to stop dating Kanye and get back to Reggie now that he's uh, got some airtime. So I'm pumped for Hard Knocks. The Dolphins will work for me. Uh, and I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's always a good show. All right. My first thing today. Another thing I love, sports books, and uh, found out last night looking around on Twitter that Warren Sapp has a book coming out, and one interesting thing about it was on the cover, he's wearing a Super Bowl ring, which recently when he filed for bankruptcy, he said he lost. <laughs> so people were wondering if the Super Bowl ring was airbrushed on, uh, did he not really lose it, did he take the picture before he lost it, and uh, now report comes out today, uh, it's the... Uh, Tampa Bay Times has reported that the new 314-page book, Sap Attack, uh, goes on the offensive and attacks several former coaches and teammates. Uh, first, defensive coordinator Monty Kiffin. This is a quote from Sap. I always believed Kiffin blitzed so much because he wanted the glory. It made him feel like a great defensive coordinator. Okay. Uh, I guess <laughs> that's a rip. Uh, he also ripped uh, Trent Dilfer, uh, who he says, Dilfer... Basically, it was an interception waiting to happen. There were games. <laughs> wow. There were times we practically pleaded with him. We know you're not going to score a touchdown, but please just turn it over. Uh, no word on when the book w- will be released, according to this report on SI.com, but I did see yesterday that it's supposed to come out sometime in August. I should know this, but I can't recall. Is, is Sap still on NFL Network? Well... Yes and no, I guess, is the answer. Remember, we talked to, to Dave, Dave about this. Right, I couldn't remember exactly what was said on Dave the air. Dave said he was off the air, still so. dropping off his laundry there or something. Right, but, right. So I don't know. I haven't seen him on in a bit. I don't I, I don't know if they decided what to do with him just yet. Uh, but he has a book coming out where apparently he blasts people. I wonder if Dave made the book. I, I felt like he was <laughs> somewhat mild on Kiffin. Like, yeah, that's not bad. But <laughs> calling... Dilfer, an interception waiting to happen, is a little rough. Dilfer's not a shy guy, though. I mean, he he's one of the smarter guys. He's one of the more respected uh, kind of former player talking heads in the 
in the broadcast industry. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about it because he is always a guy that's been kind of known as like most teams that go to the Super Bowl have great quarterbacks. Most teams that go and win. He was kind of the exception of that. He was like the game manager. Just right. don't lose it. And just don't de- turn it over, the de- man. The defense We're pleading won. with you. So it's interesting to hear this guy that critiques other people all the time who was kind of an average player. It would be interesting to hear what he has to say when someone calls him out for being average or worse. My second thing this week, uh, if you could sign up right now to watch the next let – me, let me back up. Peyton Manning went 3-13 and as a rookie. Right. If you were a fan of the Colts and you could turn back the clock, would you go and buy season tickets to watch him go 3-13 and knowing you're going to see the start of something special? Yes. Because apparently the Colts fans, the answer to that is a resounding no. Uh, the Colts have 3,000 unsold season tickets and are selling something like 7% less than last year. Right. And look, it's hard to blame them. This team is probably going to be really bad again. But you're starting... First of all, you've been spoiled for however many years. Right, 12, and you got a great owner. You had a good owner, a great stadium. Uh, Beautiful stadium. All that stuff going for you. It's still it's, NFL it's, football. It's easy for me to spend your money, I suppose. But if you've been going this long, I don't see why you would all of a sudden stop. You might get in on the ground floor of something awesome. Uh Luck is supposed to be the best prospect since your last quarterback. Right. So check him out, support him. Uh, like I said, your team's probably going to be bad this year, but that only means you're going to get another super draft pick next year. Plus, I mean, they, they have a waiting list. Apparently, they've hired interns right. for the first time in a decade for the purpose of promoting promotion and trying to recruit right. people who are on the waiting list or people who have bought single seats in the past. Um, but... If you don't, this is the time to get them, because if he does anything decent, if he can get that team at say six and ten where they win three of the last five, sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it's going to be off, and you're not going to get a chance to not, buy them again. Not at all. So I mean, now's the time if you're a Colts fan to go out and buy season tickets. Sure, and I'm not trying to necessarily pick on anybody. Like I said, it's easy for me to spend your money, but. Man, it's not like they just draft. This isn't some third round quarterback going in. This isn't a who was the Bills quarterback? Uh, Todd Collins. Todd Collins going in after Jim Kelly. This is the next big thing going in after the the last great thing. My number two thing today: uh, people aren't buying tickets in Indy, and apparently people aren't buying newspapers in New Orleans. And the long summer. A nightmare for Saints fans and for people in New Orleans continues as it was announced this week that the New Orleans Times-Picayune, a paper that had authors win Pulitzer Prizes for their work during Katrina, yeah. uh, the owners have announced that they are going to only print this former news daily three times a week starting this fall, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. That's crazy. Now, don't forget that New Orleans is going to be hosting the Super Bowl this year. So does that mean the day after the Super Bowl? You're going to have to wait till Wednesday. you got to wait till Wednesday to wow. read in the newspaper who won? Well, news came out today that New Orleans Saints owner Tom Benson has an open letter that pleads with Mr. Newhouse, uh, who's the owner of the, the conglomerate that owns the New Orleans Times-Picayune, uh, to keep publishing daily. He writes... Mr. Benson writes, I am corresponding in the hopes that your organization will strongly reconsider its decision to publish the Times-Picayune three days a week rather than customarily 
tradition of a daily newspaper, New Orleans and its residents have long prided itself as being one of the most unique and culturally rich cities in the world and the host to millions of visitors each year. Now, this also comes not too long after Colin Cowherd made noise when he called New Orleans the least safe big city in America and said that New Orleans and Detroit are the only cities where he's ever been to where people have told him not to go to certain areas around that aren't around the stadium. He's a blowhard, though. He talks. To, he is definitely he a blowhard. wants to get people to listen, good or bad. So, not it, it's a football story because, for one, the, the Saints have great beat reporters. Jeff Duncan, Jeff Duncan uh, Mike Triplett. Uh, they have a great staff of reporters who, who who cover this team, and their future is up in the air. They're going to cut 150 positions at the paper. Wow, and. It's been said that people are going to have to re-interview for their jobs. Wow. They're going to make Jeff Duncan re-interview for his job as a beat reporter for the it Saints. Can't be. He's There's... one of the most respected beat ro- ro- writers in the NF- in the National Football League. Right. I mean, if you're Jeff Duncan, obviously you're a little bit nervous, I suppose. But if they cut you, you find a dot com somewhere that'll pay you money. Like ESPN would, somebody would he'd latch on with. But this reminds me of when uh, the Buffalo News, our local paper, was one of the last papers to do both. Evening editions right. and morning editions, and then they cut that just to the uh, morning just the editions. Morning. Yep. But uh, sad day for newspapers. Sure, I mean, and it would be really sad if this if this happens in New Orleans because, like I said, just look at all the events they host. I mean, they host Final Fours, they host national championship games, they host the Super Bowl, and I mean, as they're going to have the whole country there in a little bit. And is the whole country going to wake up the day after the Super Bowl and not have a newspaper to buy? Yeah, that's that's what are they, usually they have the Super Bowl edition that they're holding up while the confetti falls. In Apparently, the in New Orleans, they're going to be holding up a laptop <laughs> with the with the <laughs> online iPad, digital yeah. co- content that the paper is promising to replace it with. Because the idea here is that they're not going to have the daily, and instead they're going to uh, focus on online content and things like that. Yeah, this has got to be something that. People in the print media have to know is coming at some point, but maybe they didn't. Ex- I don't think now is the time. It's tough, and to do it this way is just in a major city. I mean, I guess this happened in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay, um, but there's also a newspaper at the college that prints. Sure, and it's a much it's a college town. This is a major U.S. city again that hosts some of the biggest events each year that the country holds. And it's one of, not that uh, the Bounty Gate's a positive thing, but it's going to be one of the most closely watched teams they have been anyway. When the Saints won the Super Bowl, I don't remember the number, but I remember they printed at least five times what they normally print. Yeah, I mean, you I know, know you, hated, that paper. you hated the title, but they were kind of America's team after Katrina. Yeah, like, for sure. They probably lost that title now. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, for sure. And this is a sad story. And although it wasn't a sports story, I wanted to share it because, one, you know, Mr. Benson had, had written that letter. And also, the first thing I thought of when I heard about this is what's going to happen to Jeff, Jeff Duncan. Duncan. Yeah. Well, if he yeah. wants to write for our blog, yeah, we, we'd be more than happy to have him. We don't have much of a budget. No. no I don't. mean, it would be uh, – he'd probably have to re- work for the money in terms of, like, you know, <laughs> he'd have to sell his own ads and things like That's that right. if he wants to make any money. But, yeah, we'd hire him. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. my last no thing. No benefits. No. My last thing this week, uh, I'm not okay. sure how many people know Lori Lolo Jones, but if you do, it's probably because. She, she was on Real Sports this month. They did a story on her. They did? Yeah. 
Well, she's most known probably for, I mean, she's an American. Tripping on the hurdle. Track and field hurdle, right. And if not for that, then it's her outspokenness about her virginity. She's a, a pretty brunette girl, track, so obviously in good shape. Well, Nick Mangold, teammate of Tim Tebow, center for the New York Jets, Tebow's quarterback, obviously, has said it's his new goal, he said in a chat with NFL Total Access, that he's going to do a little matchmaking. I like it. Uh, I like where we're going. Mangold was an instigator last week in the Jets' locker room, leading a Lolo chant. He wants to get Tim Tebow and Lolo Jones together to create the most chaste couple in American sport. Uh, I was actually pushing for Tim and Lolo Jones to, you know, get united, Mango said of his chant. So, again, I don't like to like players on teams that I hate, but uh, this is pretty funny. If you're Uh, Tebow, why not, man? Why not sure. go on a date with her? She's a little old for him. She's 29, and I believe he's probably around 23 or 24. So what? Yeah. Go but, for um, it, Tim. She is beautiful. Yeah, very pretty. I mean, girl. I thought she was very pretty. She's an athlete. She understands what Tim goes through in terms of training and the time that it takes to train, you know? Uh, so she, she, she could fit in with the lifestyle. I don't know her religious beliefs, and that's going to be important. It sure is. Uh, this article is on NFL.com. Uh they're kind of. It's an article to kind of promote their own show. Uh, I heard her say. Access. I heard her say that she wanted to wait for her virginity, so it was a gift to give to her husband. I didn't hear her necessarily say it was because of religious reasons, so I don't oh, know okay. that to be a fact or not. I see. But this month, the the episode of Real Sports that is airing right now and might be on demand at, with your cable company or uh, HBOGo.com or whatever. There's a really great story that Mary Cas- Cas- Carcillo, I think her name is. Uh, did about her um, really interesting. She tripped on the last hurdle in the hundred meter hurdle at the last Olympics, cost her a gold medal, and uh, apparently she's training to get back. But that won't be decided until sometime in June. But it's interesting that the story has become her uh, sexual. And she she started though. Choices. She tweeted it. She did. She's the one who who brought it up. So so it's interesting. And uh, also on NFL Total Access, Nick Mangold. He's an interesting guy. He he touches upon. Rex Ryan's weight loss, QB hand moisturizing, and the Olympic quest of Holly, his sister. So, oh yeah, she's a, a bodybuilder, power lifter. Yeah. She's unbelievably jacked. Yeah, you should see her. Uh, not a virgin. Terrell Owens. Oh, to yeah, my third thing today. Terrell Owens is uh, not a virgin, and um, his football career, or comeback, or whatever you call it, has come to a new low. Uh, the Allen Wranglers of the Indoor Football League, released Owens on Tuesday, according to ESPNDallas.com. The Wranglers, like, jeans? Yeah, W-R-A-N-G-L-E-R-S. Said that he did not fulfill the obligations of his contract. Apparently he didn't show up. being there. (laughs) Yep, team owner John Frankel said Owens refused to play in two upcoming road games that are important to the team's playoff run. Owens' no-show for a scheduled appearance at a children's hospital. Come on, T.O. Way to go, T.O. Uh... Owens was not required to play in all road games, but his team wanted him to participate in key ones. Uh, T.O.'s contract gave him a 30% ownership stake in the team, but that has been nullified by his refusal to give to live up to the terms of his deal. This is from Frankel. It's disappointing and unfortunate, but he could no longer be tolerated by the Wrangler organization. Wow. Okay, let me say that one more time. 
he could no longer be tolerated by the, the Wrangler, Wrangler organization. organization. Has there ever been an organization that didn't get to the point where they could no longer tolerate T.O.? I mean, this is just what he is, right? I yeah. mean, he he wears out his welcome. I, I don't look if he was trying to make to play nice and prove he can get back. I thought Buffalo was kind of a team where he tried to play nice, eight games, so he could get back on with a team that like for, a serious contender for the Wrangle, Wranglers, which you would consider to be probably low competition if he thinks he's ever going to make a comeback in the National right, Football right. League. He played eight games, got thirty-five passes for four hundred and twenty yards and ten touchdowns. So decent numbers. Yeah, uh, I, I don't guess. know. Like as far as has he ever not left? a thousand yard pace? Buffalo is probably the closest thing to a team that he left civilly though, and it's just kind of like they both. And that was because it was ways. it was one year, one and, year deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, his legacy is gonna. He's one of the best ever, right? I mean, he's great. He was great at his peak. He was on Doctor Phil uh, recently to face off with the mothers of his children. Wow. I mean, it's interesting because him and Randy Moss are maybe the two best at their position in their time, and they're both going to be known for off-the-field headaches. The last news we heard on T.O. is that he had earned $80 million in his 11-year career but said that he has little money left. He has four children with four different women. Unbelievable. Um, Owen said he was paying $45,000 a month in child support at one time. He came off as somewhat likable on the T.O. show, too. Him and Ocho Cinco. Ocho Cinco just does it the right way, though, all the time, it seems like. Ocho, for a guy that can be a me first as far as like the spotlight goes, you don't hear a lot of people coming out saying Ocho Cinco was a bad teammate. He asked about his numbers in the NFL. He hauled in 1,000 passes, more than 1,000 passes, for 15,934 yards and 153 touchdowns. Wow. So, I mean, I mean no unbelievable doubt numbers. Hall of Famer, but there will always be the, the what-ifs and... I'll tell you what we I will it will be appointment television for me to see that Hall of Fame induction speech. <laughs> I mean, I want to hear what T.O. would say after they put the yellow jacket wow. on. Wow, yeah, no kidding. You know, so unbelievable. All right, that's it for three things today. Uh, had fun there. We're gonna take a break. Come back, do our interview. Take another break. Come back. And go around Football Nation. Sounds so, good. We'll be right back. Our guest today is from Brooklyn, New York, and is a graduate of the University of Missouri. He isn't an actor, songwriter, or comedian from the UK. He is a sports writer and reporter for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. At SI, he covers the National Football League, the WNBA, women's college basketball, and tennis. A warm football nation and sportscasters welcome to the very talented Andrew Lawrence. How are you doing today, Andrew? Doing well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me again. Yeah, we love having you on. Um, you know, it always seems like you write something that, uh, I don't know if I, if I want to say it challenges me, but it, it, it makes me think about things a little bit different. And recently you wrote a column on SA.com about how the league is uh, focusing on mental health and how there's been a new uh, position created and a lot of team staffs. And um, oh, I, oh, this issue has kind of come back into the forefront with the tragic passing of Junior Seau. And I was just wondering if maybe for our listeners who didn't get a chance to read the article, you could kind of just go over a little bit of what you had written about and um, where you think 
the league, the players, and the teams are in terms of dealing with the mental health issues? Well, actually, the survey is kind of very much inspired by the the, the death of uh, of Junior Seau and just kind of sitting around uh, in our meetings, trying to thinking about like how, you know, what kind of infrastructure exists in the NFL if you're, you know, if you're a player uh, in terms of like seeking, uh, you know, mental health counseling, uh, what kind of mental health resources exist. So uh, I kind of went on a a bit of a fact-finding mission and, uh, you know, called around to the league and to former players and uh, kind of got lucky and uh, had a, a source that I talked to, uh, Dr. Yolanda Bruce Brooks, and wound up talking to her about something else uh, a few years down the road. And, she, you know, she had mentioned that she was, uh, you know, the team uh, psychologist for the, uh, for the Cowboys, so that seemed like a natural place to start and just kind of hearing a little bit about her experience and especially at a time when she started when uh you know mental health was so far you know off of the the radar of the NFL and just you know kind of culturally um you know now it's you, you know you're kind of oversaturated with it with uh you know just in television alone like so many you know so many of our favorite TV characters are kind of like actively working through um you know their uh their mental health issues Tony being, Soprano uh, seeing psychologists and yeah. that's like that's all part of the deal but uh but what was interesting in talking to her is like so much of the emphasis on on uh Seau has been you know is it uh, is this CTE and what was interesting in talking to Dr. Brooks was just that you know like a lot like football is very much kind of a diversion from you know, a, a lot of stuff for these players. It's the, you know, for, for a lot of these guys, it's what they go into to kind of overcome their, the, you know, their their kind of personal circumstances. I mean, these are, you know, kind of stories that we end up, you know, writing so often in the sports writing world that they've kind of become cliche. But, I mean, this is a lot of, like, kind of mental trauma when you're talking about people who are, you know, you know, the vast majority of them are like a growing up in poverty and single family circumstances and overcoming like God knows what in terms of like, you know, environmentally um, to uh, to kind of rise above it and become uh, and to become professionals. And that leaves a lot of, you know, mental scarring, you know, just kind of in the journey. And then also in the, the NFL piece of it where you're still, you know, trying to reconcile this old life with your new life and you know some of the some of the elements that may come back and and what and want to uh that you feel kind of a loyalty to to associate with so uh, just hearing you heard talk about like how you know a lot of these guys were you know very very much leery of her but over time you know kind of learned to to gain her trust and the work that she had to do just to kind of get used to uh this culture uh you know locker room culture um, where, you know, you may have a guy, you know, getting frustrated because guys are missing, uh, appointments and not realizing that, you know, their, their time, whatever time they're scheduling isn't their own because they, you know, have, uh, have, uh, you know, it's coaches who ultimately kind of set their, you know, right. their timetable. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, just how, how you're able, how they're able to adapt to that and, uh, and and also kind of get the outside mental community to come in because basically what she did she you know she said that she was emphatic and that you know she did not actually 
uh, have any sessions with players. Her role was more to kind of, you know, see where a player was and, and kind of what they needed and kind of, you know, link them up with the right person, to, you know, the person best suited to kind of deal with what, what was going on with them and whether that was them personally or, you know, their their family, their marriage or whatever, that she was just there, even just to be kind of a, a shoulder to cry on or, you know, just somebody to kind of have a, a private moment with that, that she was that person. And the NFL has since built on that by having, you know, people like her on every team who are kind of, you know, point people for the, uh, for the outside um, health community and to the NFL, which is trying to build a program around, you know, getting players to, uh, to, ac- to access more of these resources. And those are the DPDs that you talk about in the article, right? Right, right. And and basically their role is, is they they don't, like you said, no one's laying on a couch and then prescribing Prozac. It's more of they, right, right. they evaluate and then they try and, and direct the player to the next step. Right, right. So, and you mentioned in the article that, you know, that's, Great, and and the league can can set all that up, but ultimately it's up to the players maybe to take that next step, right? And is that where uh, things are maybe breaking down a little bit? A little bit. I mean, they they kind of hit them hard their their rookie year. I mean, a lot of the you know there's there's a certain kind of mental health program that uh, that they that rookies are required to go to, and and you know the hope there is that it kind of uh, creates a relationship early on so that rookies will then take it upon themselves in in later years to to kind of go to these DPDs with with whatever is going on but uh but yeah you know it's it's just it, like anything it just becomes secondary to the job itself and to you know to performing and you know uh any any time away from kind of dedicating yourself to football is seen as you know kind of undermining your 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 effort to stay on the team so you know anything that kind of looks like a distraction is generally not something that uh, the players are going to stay away going to going to try to uh you know are going to crowd to especially during working hours so i mean off the field is another matter but um but yeah it just seems like in that respect, it would seem like you know maybe the league could uh, could like make you know build in some some requirements as players are are going uh, are you know progressing their careers so that it's less stigmatized. It seems like this off season has been dominated by uh, the bounty issue, player safety, uh, mental health issues, concussions. Uh, what other kind of things have piqued your interest as someone who covers the league what what are, what are you interested in seeing develop in uh, OTAs and training camps that are kind of evolved from what we have been following during the offseason um, well the thing that was really interesting to me was the point kind of a little bit of what I was talking about but but uh, Tank Johnson the former defense, newly retired uh, defensive uh, tackle talked a little bit to me about it he's just like you know the problem is is at the CBA, and it's like you know, if uh, if uh, you know, in a in a league where teams are looking for any excuse to either save money on a guy or cut a guy, it seems like you know, 
your kind of proactive mental health habits could easily be spun into like this guy has issues and we don't want right. to and you, we don't want to take a risk or continue to to bank on somebody who uh who may have who may be you know kind of like uh you know on the brink of of bursting or something like that um so it seems like this was you know, very much a missed opportunity by by the uh, by the players' union to be able to kind of build some of these protections into their uh, into the into this most recent CBA. And I'm wondering, like, how much kind of uh, negotiational remorse they'll have if we start to get more headlines of the of the sort, like Duerson and like Seau. And uh, and even Asher Allen, you know, retiring, you know, mysteriously at uh, at 24, you know, you know, very early on in a lot of those stories, the first thing you read about is is his concussion history, and it's just like, you know, what what was going on there that makes a guy, uh, you know, want to want to retire, you know, so early, and and a, and a player who is not maybe not a name brand player, but you know, maybe within the division, and certainly like a gainful uh, contributor to that to that team. So, well, you know, uh, a bunch of players have retired this offseason. One player who retired is Heinz Ward, and there was some news today that Heinz Ward has been hired by NBC, the NBC Sports Network, to do some some work. Do you have any opinion on how you think uh, Ward could transition into that? And maybe just maybe more generally, what is your opinion on? Uh, just kind of what players do when they retire and and how maybe staying in the game like that could give them an advantage over uh, not being in the game and, and just kind of – because you talk in the, in the article about how the first two or three years after the career are so critical. Right, right. Well, uh, well, Hines has done well to, to keep himself busy between, uh, you know, this and, and dancing with the stars and uh, certainly uh, – you talk about uh you know the most bruising uh studio team between he him and uh and uh, Rodney, Rodney Harrison, Harrison that's yeah. not like a uh that's not a crew I would want to I would want to cut in front of in in, in the chow line at <laughs> stadium or whatever but uh but uh, but yeah that that first those first uh couple of years of retirement are, are extremely crucial I I think I think he'll do well just because you know, he's a guy. You know, for all of his, you know, you know, jockiness is, uh, you know, a, um, you know, a, a pretty kind of, you know, you know, culturally curious guy, and uh, and uh, and you know, and, and trying dancing with the stars, something like that. You know, it's clearly down for for anything. So, uh, so I think it'll be easier for him just because, you know, he he he's always been a guy that's. That's had, you know, I hate to use this word for people, but a guy who's had a brand and been very shrewd about, you know, kind of keeping his name, you know, having like elevating his name when he was just a player and kind of building on that outside of the game. You know, I think I think that won't be hard for him, but not problem is like not all players are are as savvy as him when it comes to stuff like that. And and even even savvy guys like like Seau can still, you know, you know, just because you're you're good at kind of keeping yourself busy and, and Seau was one of those guys too, you know, you know, through his foundation, through, you know, dabbling in the television and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. You know, so there's still, you know, those those idle moments are what what you kind of worry about. So 
I wish him all the best. I really hope it works out for him. Uh, I think it'll be great on television. One thing that I know that you work on a lot, and we're, we talked about it uh, the last time we talked, is you work a lot on uh, kind of the preview issues. Um, right. Can you tell us a little bit about how those kind of come together? Because, I mean, we love reading them, but, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, give us a little bit of secret sauce on how SI approaches uh, the preview issues for the National Football League and for college football. Well, well, for someone like me who's kind of, you know, in uh, in a bunch of sports, uh, you know, kind of floating around from one sport to the next, it's always kind of like a, 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 a written final exam where, you know, you get an email from somebody that's like, can you, you know, you know, we're putting this thing together. Are you interested in doing these teams? And, you know, and then it's like a race to kind of, you know, read up as much as I can about, uh, about a particular team and, and then, uh, and then uh, talk to as many people as I can from that team to kind of get a fix on, you know, where, where last year, you know, every team, but Alabama, you know, where last year went wrong and kind of some of the fixes that, uh, that they're trying to put in place to, to get, to move things forward. So, um, I mean, they're a lot of fun, and you know, especially in the college game, you get to kind of get introduced to players that uh, that you might not, uh, you know, may escape your attention uh, if you don't, if you don't like, you know, if your team isn't in a particular conference or something like that. Perfect example is uh, is uh, Keith Price, the quarterback at Washington, who uh, was kind of a guy who, you know, a lot of people. You know, the average college football fan probably wasn't paying attention to you until the Alamo Bowl, and when which had to be like, you know, the craziest bowl of last year, and right. he's putting up, you know, 400 plus yards against the number two pick in the draft, and people are like, "Who is that guy?" And, and you know, and uh, and then you know, you talk to him and you find out more about him, and you find out that you know he's, uh, you know, was. You know, behind uh, behind Jake Locker for uh, for a couple of years, and then uh, you know the day that he signed was like a week before or uh, a week after uh, Joe Montana's youngest son signs, and everybody, you know, all of his friends are back home. We're like, are you gonna? You so you know you're gonna, like gonna transfer, right? Because <laughs> you'll have like no shot at sticking around, and you know fights through it and ends up being being the starter. It's always fun to kind of you know hear hear stories like that and. And you know, like a pretty, uh, a really, really good passer uh, with uh, with receivers that you know you probably uh, you know most people hadn't really heard of, and you know, and and now those guys are gone. So he's working with a completely new crew of unknowns. But um, you know, um, Steve Starkeesian is like uh, you know their, their head coach is really, 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 really high on him. So there's a lot of similarities between him and uh, and Charlie Ward and. And uh, and thinks that he's going to be like an unbelievable player for them, and uh, and have a pro shot one day. The sportscasters are here with. I don't uh, know if that answers the question, but uh, <laughs> I think so. But uh, yeah, there's no there's no hard and fast rule to kind of putting those things together. It's just it's usually, you know, kind of a uh, you know a little bit of uh, a little bit of luck and a lot of legwork. And you're focusing kind of you're doing some uh, Pac-10 stuff then. Yeah, Pac-12. Uh, Pac-12. All I did this year was the Pac-12, Pac-12 so far. Very cool. So uh, based on what you've, you've studied uh, in, in terms of the Pac-12, 
if you had a bet 20 bucks who was going to win the Pac-12 next year, would you have an inkling of that already based on what you've seen in the spring? Oh, I, I think I think you, it's it's USC's uh, USC's conference to lose. I mean, they you know you know their their major loss. Well, there are two major losses. One is Matt Khalil. Um, you know, they they're blindside protector for uh, Matt Barkley, who goes into the season as the Heisman favorite, came back specifically uh, to uh, to get to a national championship and win. Now that uh, the uh, the bull ban part of the uh, NCAA sanctions against the Trojans have been lifted. Um, but the second loss is a direct result of those bans, which is that, uh, you know, the, the roster size um, limitations that USC has, I and mean, basically, like, they, they uh, uh, can't, they, they're, I forget how it works, but basically they sign, like, 20 fewer, they're allowed to carry like 20 fewer players than everybody else for like the next three years. So, um, you know, that's, you know, while they, they kind of, they return something like 37 lettermen, um, most of their starters, you know, they're still working with like a much, much thinner depth chart than everybody else. It'll be a matter of, you know, can they, can they stay healthy enough to to go the distance? But uh, but I mean, the last two years they've been fantastic, and I mean, you know, winning winning eighteen games, ten last year. I mean, you know, if if they weren't working under an NCAA ban, you know, conceivably they're they're in the uh, in the conversation for uh, for the BCS title game. All right, uh, it's Andrew Lawrence. He works for uh, SISI.com. You can find him on Twitter. He's at SI underscore Drew Lawrence. Uh, some cool tweets right now about the tennis. Uh, you're, uh, I assume, found uh, the French Open. I saw some tweets today, so definitely yeah. worth it there. Yeah. Yep, and uh, anything else in terms of what we can look for from you in the next coming weeks, months, days? Uh, probably just, uh, probably just French open, uh, until, uh, until the, until the bitter end. Okay. Thanks, man. We really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. One more segment on the show today. The Sportscasters and Football Nation, Episode 9. Uh, next week on the show, we're going to have the uh, AFC South blogger um, for ESPN.com. He was supposed to be on a couple weeks ago. It's gotten pushed back, but he's uh, finally going to join us next week. So look forward to that. Uh, don't forget to email us if you have any questions to sportscasters at gmail.com. Questions, comments. Follow us on uh, Twitter. We're at sports underscore casters. And you can follow Football Nation on Twitter, too at F-Ball Nation. Don't forget to check out episode number 21 of season 2 of the Sportscasters proper featuring the Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski, Mark Cram Jr., and John Fox, not the coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh, You can find that that at www.sports-casters.com and like this podcast, that podcast you can download at iTunes. Uh, We've been doing this since, I think, just about all nine shows we've been Kind of signing off, talking about what we've read this week at Football Nation. What article has caught our eye? Don, you want to get us started off and tell us what you're reading this week on FootballNation.com? Sure. I'm reading an article by uh, contributor Timothy Krause called the 
I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's a list of the greatest teams to fall short of the Super Bowl. Teams like the 98 Minnesota Vikings that famously went 15-1 and then missed uh, – Gary Anderson missed a field goal. Not only it's missed first a field goal, the, the only one he missed right. all season. Uh, the article, I think, was kind of based on the fact that Green Bay was dominant this year, basically from start to finish until they weren't and it was over. Uh, and he goes on to list other historically good teams. The 2005 Colts were 14-2. and two. The one that amazed me the most reading – he does a good job with the stats and everything on here too. But the 76 Steelers um, – Number one on his list. Number one on his list. Their point differential was 204 points, which is awesome. And what's surprising to me is that they were 10-4. and four. They lost four games somehow right. and still had that point differential. But he gives a stat that says in the final eight games they posted five shutouts That's and nuts. two of the other games only allowed a field goal. That's insane. It's unbelievable. It- uh, I'm looking at this, too, and I remember a lot of these teams. I I didn't see the 76 Steelers, but I remember the 98 Vikings. I remember kind of a funny thing. That That was Atlanta they lost to, right? Yeah, it was Atlanta. Dirty Birds. And we were, for some reason, the day of that NFC Championship game, I was at the mall, and me and probably 200 other guys who were at the mall were crowned ground TV at Sears (laughs) watching the end of the game. So... Morton Anderson, who I believe was the kicker for the Falcons at the time, kicks a game-winning field goal, and everybody t- turns around and starting to walk out, and the salesman goes, no one's going to buy a TV. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> uh, so I always think of that when I think of that team. Uh, they got the Packers on there. Our, the 2010 Patriots, 14-2. and two. Uh, The Chargers team from 2006, um, Tomlinson's – Huge season where he had 18, 15, and 28 touchdowns. Uh, yeah, great, really interesting list. Um, Just to see how, like, the point differential of some of those teams is mind-boggling. And the fact that they didn't do it after those, it's crazy. It all comes down to one game, I guess. I am so grateful that the 2009 Saints are not on that list. <laughs> 2009 Saints? Yeah, because we won the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So oh, we're not, right. Uh, <laughs> right. We're not on the list, but uh, you know that team would have been in consideration, considering they went thirteen and zero. You know, yeah, that was the, they and the Colts were right, but and but the Colts team did or didn't didn't make it that we beat. Are they on the list? Did you click off? Well, they made the Super Bowl. These teams didn't even oh, make the Super Bowl. Right, that's right. How foolish of I, me! I thought you were being funny. I'm a foolish, <laughs> foolish little devil. All right. Uh, my article this week, I liked it because I like the idea of it, and it's uh, an article by. Well, actually, you can read both sides. Okay, there's an article by Jason Stolberg, why Colin Winslow will soar in a Seahawks uniform. That's not the article I picked out. The article I picked out is why Colin Winslow will fail in Seattle, and that's written by Daniel <laughs> Hutchinson. Uh, a contributor has got 133 articles. So you can go either way here. You can uh, read as to why you think he will do well, why someone thinks he'll do well. I preferred fail. Uh, I haven't been a fan of Winslow other than mocking him for his soldier comment. He's a uh, soldier. He's just a guy who seems to just be all talk for me. And uh, I think Hutchinson makes a great great uh, case for why he's going to suck in Seattle. And I hope I hope you're right, Dan. I hope you uh, I hope you show the other guy. Uh, wrong, you know, and and this just goes to show another thing that's great about Football Nation. In ten minutes, you can read two articles about 
two sides of a coin. Sure. Why Colin Winslow is going to fail or why he's going to soar. And look, we've said it ourselves. It's hard to come up with uh, with anything to talk about in the offseason right now, especially after the draft is over and really the preseason hasn't even really gotten going yet. So for these guys, these contributors out there doing work, writing thousands of words on offseason stuff, I, I we were just saying off the air that we're both looking forward to doing this once the regular season starts. This is going to be easy. This job is going to be great right. then. And it'll just be more fun, and yeah. there'll be games to talk about, and three things is going to be packed with game stuff things in and the not field. arrests and right. stuff like that. So, well, I guess the best way to get closer to our episodes during the season is to end one of them during the off season. So that's it for today. We're going to go to California. We'll be back next week. Spend my days with a woman unkind, smoke my stuff and drink.